0: You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through our Christmas Advent series. Merry Christmas, everyone. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start a new Christmas series. Yes, we did finish Exodus, 58 messages. It was a beautiful thing in our history of our church. Another book of the Bible completed. People have already asked me, what's the next book of the Bible we're going to be going through? That is going to be Galatians. Galatians in 2024. Uh, with a few other books of the Bible as well, because, you know, it's not as long as Exodus. But we love going through God's Word, and that's what we're going to do with this Christmas series uh, as we sort of look at some things that I've been pondering and thinking about. I think it's really good for us as a church to include Christ in Christmas, right? Especially us as believers. Like, uh, It's really important to look at the events that Scripture tells us that are true uh, about Christmas um, and just thinking through... What does Jesus have for us in this Advent season? Now, for us, the next four Sundays, we're going to be meeting on Sunday nights. And what's special about that is we actually get to have a Christmas Eve service. So, yes, we will do a candlelight service with Silent Night. Maybe. I don't know. I just made that up because he said it. So we're doing it. No. Uh, 5 o'clock. We'll have candles. We'll have Silent Night. We'll sing some more carols. Uh, Maybe the piano could lead and help me out a little bit more. I don't know. But it's going to be great. I love Christmas. And this year what I really wanted to do is I really wanted to focus on the doctrines of Christmas. The doctrines that we find through the Christmas story in the text that we read about when Jesus came to be with us. Now, if you don't know what doctrine is, doctrine is a truth or a set of beliefs taught specifically by a church Right? Uh, that is fundamental to your faith. It's a set of beliefs held or taught. Uh, some doctrines of the church, because we know that there are many claims of doctrine out there and people preach all stuff, but doctrines of the church would maybe be like the Trinity, right? You never find the word Trinity in the Bible, but that is a doctrine of truth that there are three, um, there's one God and three persons. You see uh, another doctrine uh, in Scripture that Jesus is fully God and yet he is fully man. And you actually are going to see this. We're going to study this in the Christmas story, this doctrine. Uh, There's another doctrine we think about, Advent, how Jesus came. He's going to come back again. We remind ourselves this when we take communion about the second coming of Jesus and how he's going to rule and reign and how there's hope of heaven. Uh, There's the doctrine of salvation, that man is saved by grace alone through faith alone. And the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, you got atonement, propitiation, justification, glorification, all types of doctrines in the church uh, and it's important for our lives that we actually understand these large words, because what we believe affects our behavior. And so, when you come to church, I'm actually trying to teach you doctrine. I'm trying to teach you truth that what God has revealed through His Word. Because many people out in the world they claim a lot of truth or sets of beliefs, but the Bible says that there is false doctrine. There are myths and fables. And things that you can actually be bought into a lie by the enemy or the culture of the world or your upbringing that aren't actually of the Lord that can actually affect your behavior because faith has works. What you believe affects your actual life. And so I hope that when you come to these Sunday services, you don't think, okay, let's just get another cute little message and let's move on. No, we're trying to impart and pray for revelation from the Spirit of God through the Word of God to His people that you would be equipped to live for the Lord Based off of what he wants for you, the will of God is found in the Word of God. This is why it is important while we study it long hours and books of the Bible and come together under the authority of God's Word. In fact, Titus chapter two, verse one says this: Paul would tell Titus, this elder and, uh, person establishing the church, sort of a blueprint for the church in Titus. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, sound, firm, solid. Because people do teach a lot of stuff out there. But the best thing we could do is build our life on Jesus. And all scripture points to Jesus and what he says goes. And so I want to start with this in the series. This this fundamental truth that you need to know because you're about to go to school. That's what you're doing. You're you're about to learn. We study scripture. We worship God with our mind. The church is supposed to teach sound doctrine. You should be coming in here wanting me or pastor robin or whoever's teaching to teach doctrine to you truth from god and his word to actually affect your life and improve your life based off of what he says now there are many examples in scripture paul told timothy 1 timothy 315 i don't have it on the screen but he said that the church is a a pillar and a buttress of truth it's, it's supposed to be something where we can come and we can expect that the pastors, the elders, would preach and herald this good news that is true, and you can actually test it and apply it. And Jesus says, if you apply it so much, you'll be blessed. In fact, that's one of the requirements of an elder. 1 Timothy chapter 3, they're supposed to have Christ like character, but they're supposed to have the ability to teach. And if you actually look through that, uh, Titus chapter 1 verse 9, we're supposed to be able to combat false teaching or rebuttal it. Or It says, in everything that they may adore the doctrine of God, our Savior. Doctrine is so important for your lives. And so as a pastor, as an elder, yes, I, I'm always thinking of doctrines. I'm always thinking of God's truth. I'm, I'm trying to be like David who said, I'm, I'm going to meditate on your word day and night. And I have feel this great burden to teach you God's word because I want the best for you. You know, the best thing I tell people as a pastor that I can do and way, the ways I serve you all is just to be alone and be away from you so I can study, so I can pray, so I can ask God, God, what do you want for your people? What's the prophetic word? What does this truth even mean? How, the tabernacle, wow, how am I supposed to teach that? You need time to ponder, to think, to meditate. Don't get discouraged when you hear something and you're like, wait, what? And this is why we pray to God, the Spirit of God, to teach us of Christ and to give us revelation as we come to these truths from God's Word. Because sometimes we, we may not get it. It doesn't click. We need revelation from the Holy Spirit to impart this stuff to us. What we're doing is a very spiritual thing. And so I've been thinking about doctrines, and I was going through the story, and I'm like, wow, there are too many doctrines in the story of the birth of Jesus for me to just have four, I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I couldn't do it. Just, just put throwing it out there for you. But there is one doctrine that I want to hone in on, think about, and go to this month with you. It's the doctrine of the virgin birth. The virgin birth. Now, I don't think I've ever heard an entire series on just this one doctrine. That doesn't mean it's not an important doctrine. In fact, it's very important. And as I've been studying and pondering and thinking and putting together my notes, the implications are amazing for us as believers in Jesus today and why it's so significant and important. In fact, just because I haven't heard a series about it doesn't mean it's important. There's this thing called the Apostles' Creed. It gives you a lot of doctrines. And some churches actually, after every single service, my uncle's a Methodist pastor, and after every service, they actually quote this. He probably knows it by heart. I don't, so I'm going to read it, and I put it on the screen for you. But... If you go to any website, statement, belief, doctrinal things, this is an orthodox Christianity view of some of the fundamental things of our faith. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You see how there's many doctrines in the Bible. And it's important that we understand all of these things. So obviously you can't go through all of them all at once. Just like I don't expect you guys all to even read the Bible all in one week. You just take one thing at a time, one book at a time, one morning at a time. The goal isn't to accomplish something when you're with the Lord. The goal is to be with God and just be present with the Lord and let Him do that work in your life. But did you notice something very important as far as the resurrection of the body uh, or the forgiveness of sins or Jesus and his only son our Lord and in this it states born of the virgin Mary it's a part of our faith and it's an important doctrine and fundamentally it just got me thinking it'd be really fun to just do a series on the virgin birth to talk about it to dig deep into it in fact, it's so important. Pastor Robin Shelley, I don't know if you know this, but he actually teaches at Lake Worth Christian School. And I was asking my kids about what they knew about the virgin birth. And they're like, oh, it's top five. Five, uh, five uh, doctrines to die for, according to Pastor Shelley over here in his class. And he not only taught both my older son, Jeremiah, and my younger son, May, this truth, but he teaches in his fundamentals, faith, and ninth graders, this entire thing. Top five list for, for, for Dr. Shelley. It's coming. It's uh, coming. The Trinity, number one, Jesus is God, sinless of Christ, sinlessness of Christ, the resurrection, and in there, wouldn't you know it, the virgin birth. So this this is a pretty important subject. I did ask uh, Robin to give me all of his notes for this message, and he never did that. So (laughs) if you have any questions, go to him afterwards, because I'm just shooting from the hip off of what the Lord gave me tonight, all right? So... Uh, What we want to do is we want to focus on this important doctrine for this season. And I want to give you not just an ethereal sense of what the doctrine is, but how it actually implies in our life in a practical sense. Today will be like a theological study, and I actually have a lot of quotes on the screen that I will read because I thought the the way that certain commentators articulate it was really good. And I want you to hear a lot of voices and different things like that. Um, But as we move forward and talk about this, we're going to look at the Gospels and see how this theme and this doctrine is actually woven in, even when it's not explicitly there, and how significant and important it is. So, if you're taking notes like all godly people are, I'm calling this message, The Power of God. The Power of God. So, you turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 through 38. The story or I like to call these Christmas stories in the Bible events because they're not fables. They're real. Uh, And then um, we'll pray and we'll study. We'll do the work. Verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee from Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, And you shall call his name Jesus. Don't you just love that name? He will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, because of this, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also conceived; has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we can come in this place and to your word to find truth. That you're a God that speaks. And we just pray, Lord, that you would continue to minister and speak to us today through the power of your spirit. Lord, we need the spirit to teach us more of Christ, to give us these truths. We pray for revelation and soft heart. I want to pray, Lord, just for Lakeworth Christian School and Robin, for his class as he teaches important doctrines and truth to uh, hundreds of students yearly. Lord, that you would give him revelation and insight and wisdom to be able to answer questions, to be able to uh, put together outlines, especially pray for these new classes that he's teaching this year, that you would give him wisdom and discernment on what to do and how to do it. We thank you, God, that we have this opportunity as, as people of God to have confidence in truth, And in your word, and so we come now humbly, Lord. We've heard this story maybe before, but yet it's a miraculous story. And your power is on display for us. Help us to know that you're a God of power, of strength, of might, that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing. So would you give us that revelation? Would you make much of Jesus through the words that I have to say? Thank you, Father, for meeting me this week. And thank you, God, for giving me truth and revelation. And may I articulate it well tonight to good soil. May the seed sow in our hearts, be good soil, and just reap a great harvest. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's just address the elephant in the room. Mary was a virgin. We got to start there. We're all adults, or we're becoming adults, okay? So Luke specifically says in this story three times, the text wants us to know something about Mary, that she is a virgin. Why? Well, because typically virgins do not conceive children. That's just how it goes. That's the nature of our bodies. They can't get pregnant. A virgin is someone who hasn't had sexual intercourse with another person. This is very important for us to understand, especially as we get to other truths that people bring about this doctrine, because this is how we as humans procreate and have children. That's the natural path. And yet the truth of this story is pretty clear. As the angel Gabriel delivers the news to Mary that you're going to have a child, she's like, no, I'm not. How is this going to be? You see it right there in the text in verse 34. She says, How will this be since I am a virgin? This, this is impossible. This doesn't happen. And so we need to make sure that we're understanding and finding ourselves. Imagine if God came into your life and said, This is going to happen. You're like, Nope. There is not one thought that that would ever happen in my mind because it is impossible, it is unnatural, it's not normal. This is miraculous. And Gabriel like, yeah, I know. Remember, I was, I'm an angel, I was sent from God down to heaven to you. And he actually ends something with a, a beautiful statement in verse 37. And he says, but Mary, nothing will be impossible for God. What you thought was impossible is possible. This is very important to understand. This was a miracle, a supernatural thing that took place to have Mary conceive Jesus. Now some people and even scholars, because they want to downplay this, and some even scholars and and commentators and even people in the faith, don't really believe in the supernatural. Don't believe really that there's miracles. I mean, there's miracles on the cross and we're saved, but does God really still do miracles? and this is so important for us to understand because some people in this doctrine actually argue that that Greek word virgin is just meaning young girl when actuality in the Greek and in Hebrew there are feminine and male uh, sort of like Spanish "el" and "la," and this is actually signifying it's a specific word for a young female virgin a young female virgin now to be clear many people including myself believe Mary was young. Text sort of alludes to this where she's betrothed to David, and so scholars do come in agreement that Mary was at this time probably a teenager, probably the age that my daughter is, May, 14 or so. So again, wrap your mind around a 14-year-old that has not consummated her marriage, that is thinking about something in the future, and God's like, no, no, I'm going to bring it in right now. What you thought was going to be so hard, so impossible, because it's in the future. I'm going to do something right now. He's stepping into her life and situation right now. And it's totally normal for God to work in a couple of years or after I get married and consummate my marriage and we try and we do this thing. And God's trying to break through history right now to teach her something, to teach us something that he wants to do. In fact, Matthew in his account tells us that Joseph he was pretty freaked out about this whole announcement as well. Um, one of the one Mary that he was betrothed to was going to uh, have a baby. So he said, says because he was a just man, he was going to divorce her quietly because he assumed the natural. Sometimes you can, with God, you can assume the natural and it can actually be out of the will of God. God is one where you can actually assume that he can do all things. And so he was going to divorce her because she was pregnant before they came together. So an angel came to Joseph and said, That which is conceived of her, speaking of Mary in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, is from the Holy Spirit. This event, this unexpected event, this miraculous event, is from God. Himself, God the Holy Spirit. So Mary was a virgin, and yet she conceived. Two different things that you would may not think about that would go together. And this is known as the virgin birth, or more accurately, the virginal conception of Jesus. One professor who wrote a great article, I think um, the Gospel Coalition picked up this article, uh, Brandon Crow. Uh, He says this, This doctrine teaches us that Jesus Christ was born apart from the normal process of procreation, but was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of her without sin. The virginal birth is the means by which the eternal Son of God became incarnate as fully human, and we believe fully God. And we're going to look at those two Distinct doctrines as we look to the other stories in Matthew's version and John's version, how this is so significant and important that Jesus was born of the seed of a woman and what those implications mean for us today. Now, this is much different and often mistaken with the doctrine of Immaculate Conception. Some of you guys may have heard this doctrine as well. The Immaculate Conception is a doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church in regards to Mary. And it teaches that Mary was protected from original sin, basically that she was, right, immaculate or perfect, and thereby giving birth to a perfect Savior, and that Mary did not have a sin nature and was, in fact, sinless. This is what this doctrine teaches, if you actually get to it. So because of this, um, her good behavior, her sinless perfection, uh, she can conceive, and she was blessed to conceive Jesus, who would be sinless as well. And because of this teaching, we actually see an overemphasis and an unbiblical view of Mary in the Catholic Church. Now, this seems crazy to us as Christians, but here's the official statement, because they go off of what the Pope says as authority, rather than just what Scripture says. Pope Pius, in 1854 in December, uh, said this. This is the official statement. It reads like this. The Blessed Virgin Mary to have been from a first instant of her conception by our sin- singular grace and privilege of the Almighty God in view of the merits of Christ Jesus, the Savior of mankind, preserved free from all stain of original sin. Okay? There's a lot more. I can get a lot into it. But I don't want to bore you. I want to give you the big idea because a lot of people think the virgin birth and immaculate conception are the same thing, and they're not. The immaculate conception, uh, con- conception and the virgin birth are so different because one is focused on Mary's and her ability, and her perfection, and the other is focused on God and His power and His perfection. And you should understand this because where do we always focus our eyes on? Always to God. Even when we look at a story like Daniel or like Joseph, they are never the heroes. It is always God who is the hero and the center of the story. And even when we read the Bible, we're going to Scripture, not just for our lives and our will, but to find ourselves in what God has to say, that He is the center. Oftentimes we can even read Scripture as if we are the center of our lives and uh, the center of the universe, rather than God being the center of the universe. We bow a knee to Him and His will. And so Catholics believe Mary was conceived the normal way, but that God made her immune from imputed and inherited sin. For as long as she had been in existence, Mary has been free from sin. This allotted her to be a second Eve, to give birth to a second Adam, and you can see 1 Corinthians 15, 45. That was another quote or statement from this teaching about the Immaculate Conception. Now, when Luke, when we just read verse 35, it says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. They actually believe Mary was a pure and holy ark, fit to carry the Son of God, as the ark of the Lord in Moses' day. Remember when we just studied Moses and there was that, all that beauty and all that ark and it was all pure? They believe that Mary is sort of a picture of that. As the presence of God carried the Old Testament, Mary carried the author of life in the New Testament. And, and I just want to say it and I need to say it. The immaculate Conception is not biblical. And here's where we need to be biblical-centric and not doctrinal or systematic theology-centric. We need to go to the text and say, what does the Bible say? We need to always understand and what, what thing we try to do here at Redemption Church is to exposit scripture, to expose scripture of what it says. That's why I like, I'll read it and then I'll just go back and read it again and explain it and read a little bit and break it down because we want to exposit and not take things out of context. And we should know, hopefully, if we're sensitive to the Spirit of God, the Bible says in 1 John one, 4, or 4, 1 that we're to test all spirits to the Word of God. And so we should know just as we read this text that this is heresy or inerrant. This is not, this is not uh, the truth of God's Word because look at your Bibles, look at verse 28. Luke 1.28 tells us that Mary was undoubtedly a godly woman and God was with her. But uh, Gabriel meets her And says, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This word favored one could mean highly favored or favored with grace. With this doctrine, it teaches that because Mary was so good, God came to her and did a miracle and did a great work. Now, this is why I bring this up because a lot of us think that God will only do miracles in our lives. If we are good enough and earn a miracle from God. You see how crazy a false doctrine is? It's like, it's like 75% is good and then like a little bit of that, ah, just see. No, God graciously does miracles and displays his power and blesses people. And so the angel comes to Mary and says, you're highly favored. God had grace on you. You can't earn grace, Romans 12, or Romans says because then it wouldn't be grace. It's a free gift of God. And so was Mary, was God with Mary? Absolutely. Was she doing what she needed to do? Obviously, it's great, but she didn't earn this miracle. God chose her to conceive Jesus in a supernatural way based off of His grace, not her behavior or her sinlessness. The angel starts with this message of this foundation of grace and how God was going to do this because His grace is the main thing that we need to focus on not our merit or our perfection now again look at your Bibles look at verse 30 the angel says you have found favor you find favor and you receive favor you don't earn favor you, you found favor grace to conceive again Luke 1.38 we see the godliness and example of Mary as she responds. So we don't downplay Mary. She's actually a great biblical example because she hears this thing that she can't comprehend in, God, in, in, in her mind. But you know what she does? She, she trusts in the Lord with all of her heart. She leans on, on her own understanding and she, she goes to the Lord and says some beautiful words. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me According to your word. Not let it be to me according to my behavior, according to my sinlessness, according to my perfection. God, I want to receive your grace. I just want your word to be applied in my life. Do it. I'm your servant. You're the master. I receive. This is so important because you have to receive grace. Mary acknowledges that this is God's word and his power. Even in this text, she's a servant of him and it's done not according to her work or her power. The Bible hints that there there was nothing that Mary did to be able to conceive or have the right to do this. And we also know other scriptures as we even bring in like Romans 3.23, where you may know this, that All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is no one good but one. This does uh, does not exclude Mary and does not exclude you. Mary needed a Savior just like all of us and acknowledges this as she praises God. In fact, if you continue in that chapter, go to verse 46. Because in 40, 46 through 55, we've actually studied this as a church before, the Mary's Song of Praise, the Magnificent. Um, verse 46, Mary says this My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She actually acknowledges that she's a sinner here because she needs saving. My friends, when we go to doctrines and truths, where do we examine and we? Rightly divide. Study the word of God to rightly divide. Why do I say this? Because Christmas is crazy. There are crazy doctrines out there. Because many people think God is like Santa. That he's just going to, you make a list and he just gives it to you. you check, he's checking it twice. You're going to be good or not. You're gonna like, what's going to happen? If I'm really good, then God loves me. But if I'm really bad and I mess up, God doesn't love me. Where is that in scripture? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love and his favor is unconditional. Doesn't matter because even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you and he loves you. See, we have to think biblically and go back to the truth of what God is. And the story and this whole picture of the virgin birth is supposed to teach us that Jesus Christ is the only person who would never sinned. And he would be fully God and fully man. He's the only one that doesn't have a sin nature that we'll look into. But just if you want to do a little study on your own, look at this slide. Ecclesiastes 7:20, Romans 3:23, 2 Corinthians 5:21, 1 Peter 2:22. I love this, 1 John 3:5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin speaking of Jesus, and in him there is no sin. You see what I'm saying? Like we need to have a biblical concept and not just a cultural concept of these cultural things that happen every year. What, what we see and what we find and what we long for and what we love about Christmas is the grace, is the gift giving, is the love that we get to share with family and friends. It is, it is that sense of there, there's, just, there's a sense of, of, of holiday, of holiness, of peace, of, of joy, of celebration. These things are actually all biblical and things that our heart longs for. And what the enemy will do is throw a little lie in there to get you thinking about this fable or this fable or this false doctrine and get you just off. But if you're off by a few degrees, by the time you walk a few miles, you're going to be way off. And it's going to actually affect your thought pattern and what you believe about God. You don't have to earn His approval for Him to work. In fact, the greatest miracle is salvation. You had nothing to do with it. It's a finished thing. The Bible says that He manifested His love for you by dying on the cross for your sins while you were yet enemy, while you were yet sinner. So the virgin birth, as we will study, actually points to Jesus and how he is fully God, fully man, and without sin. And this is why false doctrine matters. This is why we have pastors, teachers, theologians, people to study these things and also learn these things in community. Because we even can get off this is why our, we say a lot, a lot of times in our community groups, our final authority is God's Word. We're always bringing Scripture back into the conversation. Because it, if you think about the Immaculate Conception, you're going to idolize Mary and put her up. And what do a lot of Catholics do? They pray to Mary. But we know 1 Timothy 2.5 that says, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. How do they get off? It's so clear in the Bible. Bo- because what you think affects your behavior. And if you think this about marrying a steamer too much, you can go off a little bit. That's why you have to match your behavior and what you believe off of God's word and let the Holy Spirit rebuke you, correct you, and equip you so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, live in righteousness. The virgin birth was given to us so that God would be worshiped alone. You see, because the virgin birth was a sign from God to display his power. His power. He's a miracle God, supernatural God. One of the ways that God proves that he is God is by doing only things he can do. He actually reveals to us this. And like through the prophets of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 through 10, he says, I'm going I'm to show some prophecy. And we know in the Christmas story there's a lot of prophecy that's foretelling of the future that actually gets fulfilled in the life of Christ. Now, the virgin birth was a sign to display God's power. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. The family line of the Messiah, Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, would be born from the line of Abraham. Or the line of Jacob, Israel, Numbers 24, 17. Or another familiar line of passage to narrow it down for you, Isaiah 11:1, the lineage of David. The Messiah would come at a certain time in history, Daniel chapter nine, verse 26, before the temple was even destroyed, which happened in 70 AD. These are all cues pointing to the, the incredible accuracy of God wanting to say, "I'm going to prove my power and I want you to know the Christ," which means the anointed One," which is the Greek word for Messiah the Hebrew word. They were to expect a Savior. They were to expect a miraculous king to come, and God wanted them to be out of the shadow of a doubt, no, this is of me. God specifically would do these signs throughout the Old Testament in such a way that he would be glorified and we would understand who he is and who we are not. Because as a human being, the Bible says in Romans we exchange the truth for a lie and end up thinking that we are God and we live out this life as if we are God and God's like "Uh, nope I'm reality in fact Isaiah another verse that you may be familiar with Isaiah 7 4 says this therefore the Lord himself this is Isaiah speaking through uh, this is God speaking through Isaiah the Lord himself will give you a sign people always like they want signs I'm like you realize this like God loves you Because he died on the cross for you. That's the greatest sign. The Bible actually says, God has no problem tithing, sure. Test me. You want to know my love? Look at the cross. Oh, you want to know who I am? I'll give you some prophecy and signs. He says, I myself am going to give you this sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We look at the passage next week or the week after when we look at Matthew and his passage. This is why he actually links this verse to Jesus being born and actually quotes this scripture about the birth of Jesus because he wants you to see, he's writing to a Jewish audience saying, do you see the sign? Do you see the miraculous? God himself says he will give us a sign of his power that saves us. The virgin shall conceive and this is what the angel says who this son will be. In verses 32 through 33 of this story, the angel says, He shall be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Isaiah 11.1 And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Numbers 24. Forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. God wants us to know that he is the one that saves. Him alone, he could only do it. He came upon Mary through the Holy Spirit. It was his empowering of Mary to conceive a child as a virgin. Gabriel tells Mary that this child will be born of her, comes by the agency of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an interesting phrase. If you look at verse 35 of how this happens, uh, this is important for us to know. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is the text. You see it in the Bible? You know the author, Luke. He's writing this as a case study to, uh, to show the stories and events of Jesus and to be a witness. But Luke would not only write the book of Luke, he would also write the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see the same phrase, the same Greek word, an actual phrase. You may know this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. this is important for us to understand this word upon is called epi in the Greek and it's the way the Holy Spirit empowers his people to do his work and this word is applied to God's people by grace and for you and I today not just for Mary and the miraculous but for us you see the work of the Holy Spirit He has three sort of places in people's lives. He's with us in the world. It's the Greek word para. There are scriptures like John 16, 7 and 8 which says he will be in the world convicting the world of sin. So he is with us and with the world and in the world convicting. He's para. John 14, 15 through 17 says he will dwell with you. The Holy Spirit is here. He's the primary agent here on the world. And he convicts of sin and points people to God, God the Father and God the Son. But when you repent and follow his leading and get saved, become born again, your sins are forgiven, and ask Jesus to forgive you, the Holy Spirit then comes inside of your life. This Greek word is in. It's easy because it's E-N, but you could just say in, right? So he's in you. Galatians 4:6 says he comes in our hearts or in our lives. That we actually get baptized into the body of Christ through the power of the Spirit. And John 14:17, Jesus says he will be in you. He lives with you. He guides you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus went down and ascended and gave gifts to men, proving that he was alive and well. And he works through the body of Christ and he's in us and he's working and he's moving. But then there is another word for the Holy Spirit and what he does and the work in a person's life as he comes upon people. He comes upon people. It's when Jesus, in the last feast, in the last day, in John chapter 7, verse 37-39, He comes and He says, Listen, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. These gifts of the Spirit will actually flow and minister, and He'll empower you to do the miraculous, to have words of knowledge, to to love people, to bear fruit. You'll have an overflow, and this will go into the world. Or what Ephesians 5.18 says, that you will be, need to be continually filled with the Spirit. Do not be filled with alcohol, or be drunk, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still comes upon people. And it's interesting, I think, just how the language of this is Lucas is saying, the Holy Spirit, Mary, will come upon you, and this great work will happen. And now Luke, the same author, to the church and the birth of church says, hey, the Holy Spirit needs to come upon you, and then a great work will happen. There is a pattern that points to God that the Holy Spirit works in believers' lives by his grace. So much so, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock in Luke chapter 11. You that are evil know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit for those who ask and receive? If we want to do the miraculous, if we want to make kingdom impact and do things that glorify God in this world to affect other people, how do you think the Christian today is supposed to do it? Is it based off of our own efforts? No favored ones. It's based off the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Based you receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving God's grace to do the work. This is what he wants for his people. You see, some have the false idea that, the, that God, the Holy Spirit, actually had sexual intimacy with Mary. And this is how she conceived, because that's how you conceive. So God actually became a man, or he did something weird. And you may think, well, no, that's, that's like just ancient Greek mythology, that's not today. Actually, Mormons have a hue and a sense of this, that God became a man, had sexual relations, And they actually teach this about the virgin birth. This is not the case as Luke one thirty-five, continues to go on, says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Luke is trying to make sure and clear that it is the power of God that enabled Mary to conceive Jesus. It was a supernatural thing, not through the means of a normal procreation. One commentator said this, when Mary asked how how could, how should, uh, When Mary asked how she could give birth as a virgin, the angel replied that the power of God would overshadow her by meaning the Creator would create a child inside of her. Much as He created the first man in the garden, just as Adam had no human father, nor would Christ have a human father, but would be created out of the womb of Mary by God. And this is important because, remember, God wanted to display His power through the virgin birth. That he alone could do wondrous things. Remember that message when Jason came here and said that? He taught a whole message that only God alone that could only do wondrous things. And this is important for us today to know and embrace. Because if we're not careful and we do great things for the Lord, even by the power of his spirit, we can actually take glory thinking it's not God's spirit working in us. And we can think it's our own efforts and try to receive that glory. The virgin birth teaches us this. God does miracles and works supernaturally. God does miracles and works supernaturally. Now, did you notice in this story, it started at the sixth month? At the sixth month. The sixth month, what is that? Well, it's Elizabeth's sixth month, Mary's older relative that was pregnant. Luke chapter 1, if you actually read the entire story, it states, it starts with Zachariah and Elizabeth, these characters, and Elizabeth is barren and she can't have any any children. She's not able to have a baby because of her old age, verse 18 says. And now God sends Gabriel, the same angel he sends to Mary, to Zachariah and says, Hey, I'm going to do something amazing. You're going to conceive a child with your wife. It's a miracle. And this is like how God would open Sarah and Abraham's womb in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30. They were super old. I mean, older than all of us. And yet they're still having babies. Like Isaac came. It was incredible god actually does this throughout scripture he does this on purpose again why is the virgin birth important it displays god's power there would actually be many stories in the bible of buried women barren women who could not have children and god would open their womb open their womb you have examples like hannah who prayed and gave birth to samuel uh rebecca rachel It seems like God throughout Scripture gives life to barren women to prove to us that he is the giver of life and works mightily in the supernatural way. Read with me verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Mary in verses 39-45 goes... And test God's word. It's okay to test God. You don't even have to defend God. He could defend himself. He tests God. She tests God's word. She goes to Elizabeth and confirms the word of the Lord. Elizabeth was pregnant, and it was the sixth month, just like God had said, just like He said through the angel. Gabriel, and this is where Mary praises God through her beautiful song because she saw the sign and displayed that power. The virgin birth, you see, not only points to the first birth of Jesus, but this sign that God can give life to the second birth, the resurrection. This is so important for us because we have this doctrine of the second coming of Christ and the resurrection and how Jesus not only died, but he rose again. But did you know it's because the power of the Holy Spirit That rose Jesus from the grave. It was our sign in the gospel. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says this. It tells us that Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God has no problem giving life. He has no problem. And he does it over and over and again, even in the way Jesus came to show us that if you believe in him and confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, he can give you eternal life. He is the resurrection and the dead. He's the one that can do and work in a miraculous thing. So when he promises to give eternal life our salvation, we can trust him because he's proven himself over and over and over again. And in the virgin birth, you see this. Even the sign of Jesus' walk and His life, of dying on the, on the cross and then rising three days later, the Holy Spirit is able to give power and able to empower us to do these supernatural things. Brandon Crow, again, one more quote for you. The virgin birth is not an isolated doctrine. It is tied closely to the person and work of Christ. For as by a sinful man comes death, by the sinless man comes resurrection of, life, uh, resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15.21. The church father, Irenaeus, I think that's how you pronounce it, captured it memorably. If one does not accept the Son of God's birth from a virgin, how can he accept his resurrection from the dead? We don't pick and choose the miracles and the stories that God declared to reveal himself in. Like, we can't just say we're cool with the whole Christmas story, but, like, God didn't heal the paralytic. He he didn't loosen the eyes that that person to speak he didn't he does this and he does that you know how often we as christians put god in a box like well sure god could work in, in the people in the bible but not today or or he could do this or he could do that we actually equate miracles based off how hard they are and it builds our faith like it's super easy for god to just like you know give me 10 bucks answer that prayer but, but can He give me ten thousand? Well, what does it matter to god what does it matter to god if he heals your arm or he heals your whole body is he still not healer you see, sometimes we dumb down the miracles and the power of God because we're not thinking biblically and we just pick and choose, and we have no right to do that. God is proving to us, I have power. I have power. So let's land this plane for today. I told you, it's not, today is not like an exposit. I'm just going through scripture. I want to I really dig in, and this is the last point that I, I want to get from this text God saves and we receive. God saves and we receive. Verse 26 and 27 tell us that the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Again, I'm, I'm systematically trying to shock you and with the story of not going through in an orderly fashion and just be like, oh, what did you remember this? Did you see that cue? Verse 26 says he, he actually came from God to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. It was a real powerful God coming to real people's lives. Joseph and Mary who lived in real places. Galilee, Nazareth. In the virgin birth we see God initiate salvation and enter into a real world and actually a real problem to save us. You see, God had a plan of salvation because he was going to foretell a virgin birth. So this was all a part of his proper time and the way he was going to do this was to display his power. We not only have Isaiah 7.14, but as soon as sin entered into humanity, Genesis 3.15 gives us a picture of this virgin birth. And And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed or offspring and her seed. Now, typically, women don't have seed. But he shall bruise your head, uh, and you will bruise his heel. As soon as sin entered in, God had a specific plan of salvation that he initiated, that he prophesied, that he would do. He's entering their space. Mary wasn't looking for it. She didn't deserve it. He's now giving grace before the virgin birth and the incarnation of the Son of God, humanity tried to bring lasting salvation, but failed over and over and over again. And that's the, this big, arching, overline story of the Old Testament when God gives the law and says, Okay, you think you can do it? Here are my rules. This is my perfection. The Bible says that the law reveals that we are sinners, that we cannot be perfect. God wanted to prove to us that we could not save ourselves. So Galatians chapter 4, Verse four through five, Paul says, but whom, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem that who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. God's perfect plan was to be worked out in such a powerful way that we would know it was him and not our own human attempts or efforts, aka grace and not works. In the virgin birth, there is this great contrast of God's power with the weakness and powerlessness of human beings trying to save themselves. They weren't even trying. They couldn't even earn it. They were just doing their thing, living their life. And God said, it's not okay. I'm entering your space. Listen to this. This quote from a commentary put it well. The virgin birth of Jesus is an example of God's gracious work on our behalf. God took the initiative. Mary was not looking to become pregnant, it was all God's idea. Joseph had no role in the conception, his body was not involved. So the power had to come from God. And in a similar way, our salvation is based solely on God's initiative and God's power. We did nothing to earn our salvation but we rely on God's power because God saves and we receive. All Mary could do is accept or reject God's word in that moment. And she says, behold, I am a servant of God. Let it be done to me according to your word, your plan, your grace, and so too with us. All we can do is accept the powerful work that God has given means to salvation and accept it or reject it. Not our own efforts, not our own ability, but we could only be saved by grace through faith, trusting that Jesus alone can save. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can receive salvation because God saves and we can receive. And so may we receive God's powerful work of salvation and be like Mary who said, Let it be to me according to your word. The virgin birth teaches us that God is powerful to give salvation and that He is the one who saves and we receive by grace. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for just this time and study together. I thank you, Lord, that your truth is heavy and sometimes it's even hard to study. I pray, Lord, that it wasn't too scattered or Lord, that your spirit taught us and what we needed to hear. And we want to come to you and be a people that respond. And this is why we come tonight. Lord, you even drew us here tonight. You knew before the foundation of the earth that we would be here in this moment. And we want to respond by praising you. As a matter of fact, you say, when we come together, we're to respond and receive communion and grace and trust What you said goes that you're a wonderful God, a great counselor, that you're the God most high and the can save. And Jesus, you didn't just remain a baby, but you lived a life that we couldn't live. You came according to Scripture, but you died according to Scripture. And your word says you rose according to Scripture. May we accept your word that you are a powerful, supernatural, miracle making God. May we receive it for our salvation today, but may we receive it for our sustainability. May you come upon us, God. Epi. May we be overflowed from the inside out, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask God to be filled once again as we remember your grace and all that you have for us. We want to receive all that you have for us. We bless you and we thank you, God, for wanting to have a relationship with us, for initiating. We thank you for your grace. And we trust, Lord, that in this season of Advent, you're going to continue to teach us the significance of this beautiful truth, that you're Emmanuel, God, with us. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube. So you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. And we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.